Hi, and welcome to Fido, an audio adventure into fantasy, folklore, and fairy tales. I'm John, your host, and thanks for dropping in. This week, I'm coming to you after a week in the mountains. It was a nice little getaway and a chance to spend some time in nature. And nature got just a little close when we encountered a black bear walking down our trail. And it was casually looking around for snacks. Fortunately, the bear wasn't the least bit interested in us, and when we made a little noise, he was off to find the path of least resistance somewhere else. Now, if you want to talk about nature becoming a real problem, more so than my black bear story, then today's story is a good one. The Pied Piper, as you may well know, is famous for leading a terrible swarm of rats, among other things, away from the German town of Hamelin. This is one of those stories as well that might have a considerable kernel of truth at its center. The Pied Piper story originates in the 13th century, and there are a few different versions of it with a number of variations, but it's always basically the same. And the version I'm reading for you today is the poem written by Robert Browning. It was published in 1842. Now, meter and rhyming introduces a whole new wrinkle into reading a story, and this poem's meter and rhyme seems to dance all over the place. I'm fairly certain I'll cause trained orators and poets to cringe once or twice, but I think I managed to tell the tale. There is plenty to talk about after the story, of course, so I'll meet you there. And so... As written by Robert Browning and published in Dramatic Lyrics in 1842, The Pied Piper, A Children's Story. Hamelin's town is in Brunswick by famous Hanover City. The river Vesser, deep and wide, washes its wall on the southern side. A pleasanter spot you've never spied. But when begins my ditty... Almost five hundred years ago, to see townsfolk suffer so from vermin was a pity. Rats! They fought the dogs and killed the cats, and bit the babies in the cradles, and ate the cheeses out of the vats, and licked the soup from the cook's own ladles, split open the kegs of salted sprats, made nests inside men's Sunday hats, and even spoiled the women's chats. By drowning their speaking with shrieking and squeaking in fifty different sharps and flats. At last the people in a body to the town hall came flocking. Tis clear, cried they, our mayor's a naughty. And as for our corporation, shocking, to think we buy gowns lined with ermine for dolts that can't or won't determine what's best to rid us of our vermin. You hope, because you're old and obese, to find in the furry civic robe ease. Rouse up, sirs, give your brains a racking, to find the remedy we're lacking, or sure as fate we'll send you packing. At this the mayor and corporation quaked with a mighty consternation. An hour they sat in council. At length the mayor broke silence. For a gilder I'd my ermine gown sell. I wish I were a mile hence. It's easy to bid one rack one's brain. I'm sure my poor head aches again. I've scratched it so, and all in vain. Oh, for a trap, a trap, a trap. 
Just as he said this, what should hap? At the chamber door, but a gentle tap. Bless us, cried the mayor, what's that? With the corporation as he sat, looking little though wondrous fat, nor brighter was his eye, nor moister, than a too long opened oyster, save when at noon his paunch grew mutinous, for a plate of turtle green and glutinous. Only a scraping of shoes on the mat? Anything like the sound of a rat makes my heart go pit-a-pat. Come in, the mayor cried, looking bigger, and in did come the strangest figure. His queer long coat from heel to head was half of yellow and half of red, and he himself was tall and thin with sharp blue eyes, each like a pin, and light loose hair yet swarthy skin, no tuft on cheek nor beard on chin, but lips where smiles went out and in, there was no guessing his kith and kin, and nobody could enough admire the tall man and his quaint attire. Quoth one, it says my great-grandsire started up at the trump of doom's tone, and walked this way from his painted tombstone. He advanced to the council table, and, please your honors, said he, I'm able, by means of a secret charm, to draw all creatures living beneath the sun, that creep or swim or fly or run, after me so as you never saw, and I chiefly use my charm on creatures that do people harm, the mole, the toad, the newt, and viper, and people call me the Pied Piper. And here they noticed round his neck a scarf of red and yellow stripe, to match with his coat of self-same check, and at the scarf's end hung a pipe. And his fingers, they noticed, were ever straying as if impatient to be playing, upon this pipe as low it dangled over his vesture, so old-fangled. Yet, said he, poor piper as I am, in Tartary I freed the cham, last June from his huge swarms of gnats, I eased in Asia the Nizam of a monstrous brood of vampire bats, and, as for what your brain bewilders, if I can rid your town of rats, will you give me a thousand guilders? One! Fifty thousand was the exclamation of the astonished mayor and corporation. Into the street the piper stepped, smiling first a little smile, as if he knew what magic slept in his quiet pipe the while— then, like a musical adept, to blow the pipe his lips he wrinkled, and green and blue his sharp eyes twinkled, like a candle flame where salt is sprinkled. And ere three shrill notes the pipe uttered, you heard as if an army muttered. And the muttering grew to a grumbling, and the grumbling grew to a mighty rumbling. And out of the houses the rats came tumbling, great rats, small rats, lean rats, brawny rats, brown rats, black rats, gray rats, tawny rats— Grave old plotters, gay young friskers, fathers, mothers, uncles, cousins, cocking tails and pricking whiskers, families by tens and dozens, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, followed the piper for their lives. From street to street he piped, advancing, and step for step they followed, dancing, until they came to the river Vesser, wherein all plunged and perished, save one who, stout as Julius Caesar— swam across and lived to carry, as he the manuscript he cherished, to Ratland home his commentary. Which was, at first the shrill notes of the pipe, I heard a sound as of scraping tripe, and putting apples wondrous ripe into a cider press's gripe, and a moving away of pickle-tub boards, and a leaving a jar of conserve cupboards, 
and the drawing of corks of train oil flasks, and a breaking the hoops of butter casks. And it seemed as if a voice, sweeter far than by harp or by psaltery is breathed, called out, O rats, rejoice! The world is grown to one vast drysaltery, so munch on, crunch on, take your nunch on. Breakfast, supper, dinner, luncheon. And just as a bulky sugar puncheon, already staved like a great sun shone. Glorious, scarce, an inch before me, just as methought it said, Come, bore me. I found the vesser rolling o'er me. You should have heard the Hamelin people, ringing the bells till they rocked the steeple. Go, cried the mayor, and get long poles. Poke out the nests and block up the holes. Consult with carpenters and builders, and leave in our town not even a trace of the rats when suddenly up the face of the piper perked in the marketplace with a first, if you please, my thousand guilders. A thousand guilders? The mayor looked blue. So did the corporation, too, for council dinners made rare havoc, with claret, moselle, vonagrave, hock, and half the money would replenish their seller's biggest butt with Rhenish. To pay this sum to a wandering fellow with a gypsy coat of red and yellow, beside, quoth the mayor with a knowing wink, our business was done at the river's brink. We saw with our eyes the vermin sink, and what's dead can't come to life, I think. So, friend— we're not the folks to shrink from the duty of giving you something for drink, and a matter of money to put in your poke. But as for the guilders, what we spoke, of them, as you very well know, was in joke. Beside, our losses have made us thrifty. A thousand guilders? Come, take fifty. The piper's face fell, and he cried, No trifling! I can't wait beside— I've promised to visit by dinner-time Baghdad and accept the prime of the head cook's pottage, all he's rich in, for having left in the caliph's kitchen of a nest of scorpions no survivor. With him I proved no bargain-driver, with you don't think I'll bait a stiver, and folks who put me in a passion may find me pipe to another fashion. How, cried the mayor, do you think I brook? Being worse treated than a cook— "'insulted by a lazy ribald, "'with idle pipe and vesture piebald. "'You threaten us, fellow. "'Do your worst. "'Blow your pipe there till you burst.' "'Once more he stepped into the street, "'and to his lips again "'laid his long pipe of smooth straight cane, "'and ere he blew three notes, "'such sweet, soft notes "'as yet musicians cunning "'never gave the enraptured air. "'There was a rustling "'that seemed like a bustling.' of merry crowds justling at pitching and hustling. Small feet were pattering, wooden shoes clattering, little hands clapping, and little tongues chattering. And, like fowls in a farmyard when barley is scattering, out came the children running. All the little boys and girls with rosy cheeks and flaxen curls, and sparkling eyes and teeth like pearls, tripping and skipping ran merrily after the wonderful music with shouting and laughter. The mayor was dumb, and the council stood as if they were changed into blocks of wood, unable to move a step or cry to the children merrily skipping by, could only follow with the eye that joyous crowd at the piper's back, but how the mayor was on the rack, and the wretched council's bosoms beat 
as the piper turned from the high street to where the vessel rolls its waters right in the way of their sons and daughters. However, he turned from south to west, and to Koppelberg Hill his steps addressed, and after him the children pressed, great was the joy in every breast. He never can cross that mighty top, he's forced to let the piping drop, and we shall see our children stop, when, lo, as they reached the mountainside, a wondrous portal opened wide, as if a cavern was suddenly hollowed, and the piper advanced and the children followed, and when all were in to the very last, the door in the mountainside shut fast. Did I say all? No. One was lame, and could not dance the whole of the way, and in after years, if you would blame his sadness, he was used to say, it's dull in our town since my playmates left. I can't forget that I am bereft of all the pleasant sights they see, which the piper also promised me. For he led us, he said, to a joyous land, joining the town and just at hand, where waters gushed and fruit trees grew and flowers put forth a fairer hue. And everything was strange and new, and sparrows were brighter than the peacocks here, and their dogs outran our fallow deer. And honeybees had lost their stings, and horses born with eagles' wings. And just as I became assured my lame foot would be speedily cured, the music stopped, and I stood still, and found myself outside the hill, left alone against my will, to go now limping as before, and never hear of that country more. Alas, alas for Hamelin! There came into many a burgher's pate a text which says that heaven's gate opes to the rich at as easy rate as the needle's eye takes a camel in. The mayor sent east, west, north, and south to offer the piper by word of mouth wherever it was men's lot to find him silver and gold to his heart's content, if he'd only return the way he went and bring the children behind him. But when they saw twas a lost endeavor, and piper and dancers were gone forever, they made a decree that lawyers never should think their records dated duly if, after the day of the month and year, these words did not as well appear. And so long after what happened here, on the twenty-second of July, thirteen hundred and seventy-six, and the better in memory to fix, the place of the children's last retreat, they called it the Pied Piper's Street, where any one playing on pipe or tabor was sure for the future to lose his labor. Nor suffered they hostelry or tavern to shock with mirth a street so solemn, but opposite the place of the cavern they wrote the story on a column, and on the great church window painted the same to make the world acquainted, how their children were stolen away, and there it stands to this very day. And I must not omit to say— that in Transylvania there's a tribe of alien people that ascribe the outlandish ways and dress on which their neighbors lay such stress to their fathers and mothers having risen out of some subterraneous prison into which they were trepanned long time ago in a mighty band out of Hamelin, town in Brunswick land. But how or why, they don't understand. So, Willie... Let you and me be wipers, of scores out with all men, especially pipers, and, whether they pipe us free from rats or mice, if we've promised them aught, let us keep our promise. I've always been really fascinated by the Pied Piper story, 
I don't know exactly why, but for one thing, I've always been a musical person. In fact, if you stick around long enough, I plan to incorporate a little music into some future episodes. The Pied Piper is one of those fascinating characters that is one moment amiable, helpful, cheerful, but then on a gilder, let's say, he shifts into this sinister, dangerous, magical enigma. And I've always loved that kind of literary character. The ones that make you unsure of your footing as the reader or the listener. So the most interesting thing to me about the Pied Piper story is that, at least to the very real, still-inhabited town of Hamelin, it's not a fairy tale. It's history. The story seems to come from out of nowhere, and it first appears on a stained-glass window that was commissioned in a church in Hamelin. The original was destroyed in a fire in 1660, but it's really well described in texts, and there is a recreation of it. The window isn't considered to be some fancy, but it's a part of the town's history, and in the earliest written account of the Pied Piper story from 1384, there's just one simple line in the town chronicle of Hamelin that reads, It is 100 years since our children left. Now, the rats don't always show up, but the part of the story that is presented as some kind of fact is that in 1284, Hamelin lost about 130 children. Now, I won't go too deeply into the numerous different theories that are there, but there are quite a few. And for a quick overview, you might check out the Wikipedia page. I did run across it, and there's quite a bit of information there. But some think that the children may have died from natural causes or disease, and that the Pied Piper is a personification of death who led them away. So, metaphorical. Others say that maybe there was actually a migration, whether the townsfolk had to send their children away during a famine, or maybe they were sold to someone, represented by the Piper, into slavery. There is also some historical proof to the idea that Germans of that era may have helped to resettle Transylvania after it was invaded by the Mongols. The fact is that there are any number of possible inspirations for this one, and I think it's made all the more fascinating for that reason. It would definitely be very interesting to be able to see exactly where it all began. If you have any thoughts about this one, let me know. I'm curious what grabs you about the Pied Piper specifically, and I'd also love to know if you enjoyed the poetic reading. There's another poem I'm working on for later in the year. It's been rewarding, but it's a difficult pursuit, let me tell you. So if you're having fun, you should definitely subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. I'm on Apple, Google, and Spotify, and very soon I'll be showing up on Amazon as well. I'll let you know. And be sure to leave me a comment or a review. You can also keep up and follow me on Facebook as well as Instagram. I'm at Fado Podcast. And now if you want to support me more directly, you can become a patron. You can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. There will be behind-the-scenes content, early access to upcoming episodes, and also merch. My first run of Fado stickers is here, and I really like how they turned out. If you become a patron, I can guarantee you one in your membership letter. That's right, you get a handwritten membership letter from me to you with a sticker in it. Also, if you join, you'll get a mention here on the show. 
All right, that brings us to the end of episode 12. I really hope you enjoyed it. And watch for episode 13, due out on August 16th. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you once upon a next time.